So the way you're talking to the mic right now is like perfect. Yeah. Okay. So do well, that. I'm just gonna exactly ignore all of I that. I know. You have actually- a lot. <laughs> I'm just saying, but this is like perfect. This is what you should do. Alexa. <laughs> Alexa. 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 Cheetos now. <laughs> Uh, 29.4 degrees Celsius. I will take how many M&Ms are produced daily for 500, (laughs) Alex? Yes! Thank you, Alexa. So glad. Thank you. So glad I trained for that. (laughs) All right, so uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Today I have uh, Taylor with me. Um... We are. We just actually got back from lunch and an adventure, uh, going to probably the most artisanal leather working factory. Um, I don't know if you can call it a factory, as um, as much but as there a was shop. no assembly line that was happening. I feel like the the requirements for a factory is an assembly line of sorts. I, I suppose that's true. They did have a lot of hammers, which I was impressed with. It um, wouldn't be in an artisanal shop unless they had like. At least, I think you have to have at least five hammers. Yeah, I I think five is the, that's when it turns from just like regular leatherworking to artisanal leatherworking. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that's written somewhere. Funky glasses are also required. Oh, yeah. He does have funky glasses. I was very jealous of his glasses. Uh, To be fair, we're kind of making fun, but it was a really cool shop and the coffee is, you know, it's it's not bad. Yeah. Weird with the sugar cubes. Yeah. Um, But whatever. Uh, We don't have to talk (laughs) about that. Uh, Anyway, um, Taylor, uh, I guess uh, we can start. um, Well, actually, I I guess I had kind of some curiosity uh, because you just did this like life thing that is pretty awesome uh, that I actually don't know much about. You just uh, got back from Denmark recently, mm-hmm. and you went there to buy a bike. Yes. Uh, effectively, to build and buy a bike. To go, yes. Um, which, as we all know, is like something that everyone, everyone does. does. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to hear about your personal experience with this sure. very common... Right, commonplace. Uh, everyone, yeah. you know. Exactly. Once, the, once you reach the, uh, the age of 27, you know, you make your pilgrimage to Denmark to build a bike. Exactly. So... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it was interesting. It was good. Um, went there, uh, pretty much. So it all kind of started with, uh, wanting to, to build the bike. So I've been looking at different bikes. There's a bunch of different shops that are, uh, companies. Sure. Um, and this is a special, this isn't just like a bike. Like I'm not, you're not building yeah. like. Yeah, so that's a little bit of a misnomer. It is like on three wheels and it has no motor, um, but it is effectively like a a coffee shop on wheels. Okay. Is another way of thinking about it. Cool. Um, But yeah, so uh, I had been looking around for a bunch of different styles of bikes and uh, there's, there's a bunch of different, like I was saying, there's a bunch of different groups that... Uh, that build coffee bikes, um, but they're all kind of the same general build, mm-hmm. very like clunky, and uh, most of them are for coffee or ice cream. You know, okay. you've seen like 
uh, vendor vendor bikes that just kind of like wheel around sure. downtown. Uh, but I wanted something that was a little bit more customizable. Mm-hmm. And so I found this artist group, uh, they called N55. And uh, they're a really interesting group just because they've had so many different artist installations from all over. Sure. Um, and so uh, went to go work with them and kind of started emailing back and forth. And I was like, hey, I'm really interested in uh, potentially building one of these. And so, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, it took about, I think, overall, like two months of kind of going back and forth with them and just like figuring out our own schedules. Sure. And then eventually made my way over there. Nice. Uh, and so you flew to Denmark. How long were you there? Just a week. Mm. Yeah. So it was like, I, when I got back, a lot of people were asking me like, oh, did you go, like, get to go sightseeing and do all this stuff? And I was, I was literally like in a room about this size, which for anyone listening is not the biggest. Actually, it was probably, yeah, it was about the size of this. Uh, so it's like the size of a small apartment. It was actually sure. an, uh, an old bakery that they converted into a workshop. Okay. Uh, and you spent, you said you spent like pretty much the entire time in this yeah. place, just building a bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess what does that all entail? Like, you know, like I've, I've put together a bike before where it's like, I have a frame and I yeah. just attach wheels to it and then put a chain on this thing. I feel like that's like people here might call that building a bike. Like if I'm just like super his, hipster or whatever, it's like I built sure. my own bike and really all I did was like, Lego that shit together. It was um, actually very similar. Like if you've ever had like a connector set sure. or um, that's pretty much what it was. Cause it's all these aluminum parts are aluminum like pipes. Um, and so you pretty much just cut them down to size uh, for the, the part of the bike that you're building. And then essentially it's all uh, bolts like nuts and bolts that you connect them through. So various lengths and sizes and whatnot. And um that was pretty much it. It was like, it was basically just building a giant connector set and then putting wheels on it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty cool. So you didn't have to do any like welding or like craziness. No, no. I think the most intensive part was probably like, we did have to 3d print some of the parts for like the end caps. Sure. Uh, but that was pretty much like, that's the really cool thing about this bike is it's supposed to be super accessible. Like if you have access to, uh, a place where you can you can order aluminum piping, mm-hmm. you can build this bike. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh, so, I guess along those same lines, why uh, did you have to go to Denmark to do this? If you could just get all the aluminum piping, and I mean, like, yeah, by all means, like go to Denmark. That's pretty awesome. Sure, but, uh, but I why? definitely, I definitely could have uh, tried to build it on my own. But also, I was like, oh. I've never been to Denmark. Sure. It seems like a really good excuse to go because I don't don't really foresee myself having a, another excuse to go to Denmark in the foreseeable future. So I was like, cool. Fair this enough. Is it. I'll that's, do that. That's pretty cool. But I also could just, like, I think if I tried to build it on my own, it would have ended up in me, me just, like, sitting in a pile of, like, aluminum piping. Like, you may never have, like, like actually gotten it done. Yeah. Like... The, you go somewhere with like purpose. Yeah, right? all of the uh, all of the instructions were in Danish or or were translated from Danish to English. Mm-hmm. And so while they were in English, they weren't exactly the clearest instructions. Ah, and uh, the dude who is like the primary uh, person coordinating all of the sales for this sure uh, is not 
he's super busy. So him getting back, like I said, it took about two months just for me to like figure out a schedule for when I could come down because mm-hmm. he's like flying around the world and doing uh, art shows and installations. And he was actually like showing this bike. Um, he actually did. It was uh, some sort of an art show where like President Obama showed up and sure. Uh, so he was he's like got a super intense schedule. So I was like, all right, well, I'll just go there get a chance to meet this person, like make a, make a connection. And then uh, that way it doesn't result in me just like sitting in a room by myself with a bunch of aluminum crying. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so you had some trouble getting it back though. Uh, mm-hmm. Cause you transport a lot of aluminum tubing through customs and they think it's all bombs. Yeah. Which is reasonable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's happened. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was, uh, that that was interesting just because the coordinating, I don't know. I figured that like we live in 2017 and I figured that like shipping worldwide would have been like, where is the, I figured that there would be like an Uber for shipping at this point. Not the case. Not the case at all. Not the case at all. Um, I ended up going through a really tiny shipping company, um, located in Denmark uh, because I called the airline that I was originally flying to Denmark. Sure. Uh, thinking that they would be able to help me with shipping. Ended up getting a whole bunch of runaround. And uh, at the end of the day, they were like, oh, well, we'll uh, we'll give you a number for this shipping company in Denmark. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I'll go through that. And, uh, yeah, it just, it was a lot of phone calls back and forth. And then at the end of the day, uh, the... The shipping, the shipping company said, okay, well, it'll be, uh, it'll, it'll fly back with you the day that you fly back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you'll be able to uh, pick it up, you know, when you arrive in Houston. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Uh, turns out I got to Houston. Was not the case. It was not there. And they were like, oh, well, it's actually going to arrive on another flight because it got delayed somewhere along the line because it was too big, even though they told me oh, yes, this is fine. This will absolutely fit. Yeah. And um, so I went back to Austin, was waiting. I called them the next day. And they were like, okay, well, it's not going to show up for another two days. And I was like, all right, cool. Uh, the day that I was told that it was supposed to arrive was driving to Houston. Didn't have the phone number for the shipping center, like at the at Houston International Airport. Sure. And so I was calling and calling and trying to figure out the phone number. And, um, like an hour away from Houston, I finally get someone to pick up and they're like, oh yeah, no, it's not going to be here until tomorrow. Well, that sucks. Uh, and then, but you eventually got it. Everything worked out. It was just kind of a pain in the ass to get. Pretty much. Yeah. But it was pretty great. Uh, I enjoyed the look on the face of the person that was like helping me load up because I, so I, I go to the, 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 uh, shipping center Mm-hmm. And I think for the most part, you know, people are there, they're shipping for, like through companies. So they're used to people showing up with like large shipping containers and trucks and whatnot. And I showed up with like my tiny little SUV and the dude's like, okay, so where are we going to load it up? And I was just like point to my car and he's like, <sighs> all right. All right. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm be, like, uh, <laughs> well, it reminds just, me uh, of like a time I, uh, so I used to, I, I talked about this on another episode, uh, but I used to own a Mini Cooper, 
Uh, and one of the first things that I did with said Mini Cooper was I picked up a keg for a keg party. Mm-hmm. And As when you I do. yeah, and when I drove to the liquor store to pick it up, they were like, "All right, where, well, where's your truck?" And I was like, "No, I'm taking it in that thing." And they were like, "It's not going to fit in that thing." And I was like, "Oh, Ye it's of going little to faith. fit." Yeah. Oh no, dude! I, and it uh, did. It was fine. I my little I have a I had a I have a Ford Escort. It's mm-hmm. a 1996 hatchback, and that thing is amazing. Like, I love that car. It has gotten me so... I've picked up an eight-by-four-foot mirror in that car. That's ridiculous. And I love the... Like, that's why I just... I kind of love, like, showing up to places and just being like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take it in this car. And the person looking at me is just like, that's not going to fit. That's not a thing that happens. Just you wait. (laughs) Just you wait. Nice. But, yeah, so I ended up driving back from Houston to Austin, doing about uh, 45 miles the entire way. Uh, just because it's like, I don't <laughs> want this want to fall out. Get ruined. Yeah. Right on. Uh, so we got it back. Uh, you've since put it together, mm-hmm. correct? What, what exactly, you said it was kind of like an ice cream coffee truck bike yeah. thing. So what's the plans for it now? Like, what are you going to do once you've got it all set up? I assume it's not fully set up yet. No, it is nowhere near set up right now. I have to figure out the refrigeration. The biggest thing is going to be the refrigeration. Okay. Is figuring out, like, how to cool and store the drink. So basically, it's going to be a, uh, if you're not familiar, it's a boba tea cart, which is a... um, Oh, you love boba tea. Yeah. It's delicious. Um, But, yeah, it's a tea and milk drink. Um, not a lot of people are familiar with it in Texas, but where I grew up in, in California, in the North Bay and Oakland, like boba tea is equivalent with Starbucks and that there's a boba tea shop on every other corner. Um, and so I just, I, I love boba tea and I love, uh, And on all the other corners are Starbucks. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Or combo boba tea, Starbucks. Fair enough. I'm just I'm I'm honestly just waiting for Starbucks to, to like make boba tea. I'm gonna be so pissed if they do that before I open my cart, which I feel like is impending. They already did their. It's only a matter of time. Unicorn frappuccino. Oh my god, that thing! Did you ever? Uh, did, did you I end up having one. one? Yeah, it's uh, did it you was die? miserable. Did you get stomach well, cancer? I I mean I probably have <laughs> stomach cancer uh, for lots of reasons other than just sure. the unicorn uh, frap. But I mean, who doesn't? It didn't help that cause uh <laughs> let's just say if i had cancer the unicorn frap did not cure it what did it taste like because i've heard varying accounts that it was just mostly a uh like a plasticky fruit it was kind of like um tasted kind of like that fake type of happiness that you have on a on like a wedding day for a couple that like should never be together sure that's what it tasted like oh wow that's a very specific feeling (laughs) yeah uh (laughs) it was it was very i don't know i that's yeah that's the best way i could describe it manufactured manufactured happiness in a cup Mm -hmm. uh that That's you know right. is wrong for like from an outside perspective, like looking yeah. at it, you're like, this, this isn't is going to last. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is, is not meant for this earth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we would all better. We all of us would be better off if like this didn't happen. Sure. Uh, but it's happening anyway. And, I think that uh, was the exact conversation that the Starbucks execs had. They were like, we shouldn't be doing this, <laughs> but we're going to. It's it's already happening. Bye, George. Uh, I, I forgot to tell you, Bob, I've already deployed this. I've already done this. Yeah, it's, uh, 
You've unleashed what? <laughs> Damn it. It's a monster. Um, so, so Boba T cart, uh, and then the, the plan is, uh, ride it around, kind of do that. Or are you going to like find a place to park and do it or, um, yeah, uh, it's a very, very loosely formed idea at this point, which I, I tend to base most of my life decisions on loosely formed ideas, um, which as you can tell, is really (laughs) panning out great for me. I mean, it's uh, not not panning out well for you. I mean, you seem like you're doing all right. You yeah. went to Denmark to build a bike. I mean, you've completed that portion of adult life, which all of us are true. living to complete. This is true. Build bikes in Denmark. I don't know. I don't know, um, like what little kid grows up and is like, or is in the process of growing up and is like, I just want to be like some random person that eventually flies to Denmark for no reason. And then brings back a bike. Well, I, I think the reason why they don't say that is because it's so inherent to the human uh, experience that <laughs> That's uh, true. that it doesn't even need to be said. Sure. Like all of us are of on our way to build bikes in Denmark. Mm-hmm. Uh, so loosely formed idea. I mean, do you have like kind of a plan of when you want this to happen? Or yeah, uh, my initial goal was for September and early launch in September. Okay. Uh, I think realistically, that's probably going to be pushed back, uh, just because the whole figuring, like I said, the whole figuring out of refrigeration and electrical. Like the electrical is going to be like the biggest thing. This is this has turned out to be a whole engineering. Uh, I mean, it it is kind of an engineering feat to like fit all this stuff on um, yeah on a thing. Oh, uh, but we talked about this the other day. So one of the the big kind of troubles you had about like licensing or whatever on mm-hmm. your because like a food, it's effectively a food truck, but even though it's a bike, yeah, it's um, in this weird uh, purgatory middle no man's land of like it's not quite an ice cream like push cart, but it's not a full fledged food truck. Yeah. And so it's been a lot of back and forth with the city to figure out like exactly what the permitting the recommend- you have to yeah, have and all that. What the requirements are for their licensing that they want. Well, I was I was going to say I saw a uh, a food cart that had a um, cuz one of the things we're in Austin, Texas. One of the permits for food trucks is it requires that you have a three compartment sink. Yeah. Uh, which is really difficult to fit on something that's tiny. That's exactly uh, the conversation that I'm having with them right now because I'm like, I, I, the things that I'm selling do not require a three-compartment sink. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like a health and safety code sure. kind of like, you know, like it, it makes sense for like restaurants. It probably yeah. doesn't make it, sense for it, a It's an tea. expectation of, of a restaurant that has many different dishes that are going through and need to be cleaned and sanitized and dried properly, yeah. which is not the an case aspect with of my, of my um, business. So, but what I was going to say was I saw this uh, food truck or food cart thing, and it was, it was pretty tiny. Uh, I'm sure your, your bike will be smaller than this thing, but I mean, the, the, Entire space could only really fit one person standing in it. Like, there wasn't room yeah. for anything else. And they had this, like, tiny three-compartment sink. Uh, it was, like, probably about this big, this yeah. wide, and had three sections in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I mean, it, for those of you guys that are, like, listening, obviously, you can't see my hands. But uh, it, was, it was probably about a foot and a half wide three-compartment sink. Um, and so it, it seemed like kind of a similar thing where it was like, okay, fine, we have to have this stupid thing. It's uh, so all we for have this, show, essentially. Yeah, we just have this foot and a half thing yeah. 
just to say like, okay, there's the three compartment sink. We're, no, I think that's done. been kind of the funniest part about doing all this research is there's a whole, there's like a whole underground of, uh, bike, uh, bike cart community where they're like, all right, we're going to do this bullshit to get by and to like satisfy the requirements of the needs of the city or, or whoever were is is issuing the license. But it's like, none of this is actually going to be used in any capacity. Um, but yeah, I've seen like setups where it's just hotel pans. If you're familiar with those, sure. Yeah. Um, where it's like literally three hotel pans just strapped together with like holes drilled in the bottom of them. And then one, uh, like, uh, uh, drain down to the bottom. And they're yeah. like, that's our three sink compartment. And it's like, yeah. that's not, that's, ser- that's serving no purpose. Yeah. I feel like that's an anti-purpose. <laughs> it's no. literally just taking up room. Yeah. That's, uh, that's interesting. All this regulation around these, uh, these sorts of things. Well, it's, uh, and it's the regulation and then like the getting around the regulation where you're just like, yeah, this whole, like, so these communities that are doing this, is this like, I guess maybe the one that you're looking into, is this like people in Austin specifically, or is this no, kind this of is like worldwide? A, I mean, like the, per, for the most part, it's been North America. So like Canada and the U S but um, like bike vendors in general have been kind of a growing thing because bike vendors are so prevalent in other parts of the world that it's yeah. very, it's just, also like kind of a marginally cheap way to like yeah. start a business, right? Like you don't need a brick and mortar store. Right. Uh, you also don't need like a full fledged truck or, or like an Airstream or, or something like, like that. It's yeah, it's, it's really a very self-contained tiny. business or like, at, uh, I guess the, the buzzword There's that people overhead. have been using is a uh, micro business. Micro business. Yeah. Um, would it would it be an artisanal micro business? Well, yes, of course. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I don't know it's it's on a bike. It's uh, it's artisanal. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think that's like the hardest thing for me to try and like get away from or convince myself that I'm not just like some asshole hipster that's just like I just want to like live my life on a bike and just like you know just go with the flow and cycle through and, and it's like God, no. I Do just, people I just, say cycle through. Is that a thing they people do say? Oh God! <laughs> I hope I hope I never hear someone say that with any sort of seriousness. Just like cycle through life, you know, Ben. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't, don't want that? this. I don't want this. <laughs> I don't want to this. exist in my life. I think that's the purest. <laughs> just uh, no, <laughs> I don't want this. <laughs> I, I do not want this. Oh man. Well, that's that's exciting. So September, October time frame. Yeah. Start this up. Uh, and then is this just going to be what you're going to do or do you? Ideally, yeah. yeah if just, I can just if I can make enough money to get by and like live a nice life and occasionally buy like stupid shit for my dog that my dog doesn't really need. But I want to get her because it's cute. That that's really I've achieved my life goal there. So yeah. like the American hipster dream. Yeah, essentially. So you are I want to buy her terrible, artisanal terrible leather collars <laughs> from the coffee shop down the street uh with the money that I make on my bike cart. <laughs> That's my goal. That right is now. that is quite a goal. Uh But I yeah, uh it. I'm planning on mostly I'll be in the downtown area. Um probably annoying a lot of the businesses on Cesar Chavez and in the general downtown area, but there's also like the convention center and then we Oh have, yeah. You could do like events and stuff like that. It'd be yeah. like really big for, for yeah. those sorts of things. I'm actually, I'm in a food truck, food cart, uh, 
Google group. Nice. Yeah. That's, you that's guys, how like, you know you chat each it. other. Well, it's actually a lot more active than I would have thought. Like, I don't know. I mean, the restaurant business in general is very active. And like, especially in Austin, there's so much opportunity to create, like to start a restaurant here. Um, that I don't know. I, I just assumed that it would be like, everybody's just kind of like doing their own thing and making their way. But they're, uh, the food truck business in general is like a very chatty community. They're constantly like networking, letting them know that like, oh, well, I can't, you know, I can't make this event. So do you want, does somebody else want to fill in here? Oh, that's cool. Like, so instead of, instead of just being like, I can't make this event and therefore there is no food. They're like, uh, kind of pass it around. Like Mm -hmm. everyone kind of helps everyone a little bit. Um, that's really awesome. I, I, I had no idea that that was kind of like the, the culture of, uh, I guess food, trucks and bikes and stuff like that here yeah same here i mean i kind of assumed i mean there's there's a little bit of there's that that like camaraderie exists in the restaurant industry in general sure um so i don't know why i didn't assume that that would be the same case with food trucks but it seems like almost almost kind of like a a tighter knit community because they are kind of like on the outside sure a little bit from your regular like brick and mortar restaurant it's it's interesting to think about because uh you know you'd think that from like a business standpoint like if we if we go into like the idea of like just extreme capitalism and stuff like this like technically you're all in competition with each other you should mm-hmm. probably um you know in the world of cutthroat business you should totally be stepping on each other like oh you want to start a little right. food truck bike thing good luck ever working anywhere because that, and that's what I'm i was gonna follow your like twitter feed and like park my cart where you are headed <laughs> before you get there like i, I, I you know that, like or or just like that certainly but like or just be like oh you're doing boba tea like i'm just gonna make my own boba tea cart right? and park and just follow you around and be louder <laughs> Uh, so people come to mine instead of yours or whatever. Well, hence the neon sign. That's why. That's that's really my ultimate it's game just, plan. I'm going to get my neon sign and just blow the competition volume, out of the water. Volume in the... <laughs> my uh, boba tea is going to be terrible, but I will have a great neon sign. <laughs> and that's really I, what people are attracted to. It, like moths to a flame. <laughs> <laughs> well, right on. Well, cool. Uh, I think I'm ready to maybe take a short break, uh, get another beer, uh, and then uh, we'll come back and talk about some more stuff. All right. We'll be right back. All right, so we're back from our break, uh, even though, uh, I mean, we had some, uh, I guess we had some fun little discussions outside <laughs> of it. I feel like we should have been recording the whole time, uh, but screw just it. You guys are just going to miss out on all of the brilliance that we had without you. So uh, many m I know. I should do the live. Rec- I should definitely stream this live. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, 400 million M&Ms are produced roughly every day. 20% like, of them are red. I feel like you should um, stream this live if for no other reason than to showcase your amazing board uh, <laughs> wall of magic. Magic the Gathering playmats? Yeah. Yeah, it is a little ridiculous. Um, 
I mean, if I were a judge, I would do the same thing. Although I would say I'd probably put it in some sort of like protective glass. Well, the point is that I can take them down and use them. Oh. Yeah, well, that's why they're just the little binder clips. Yeah. Do you use them actually though? Yeah, to play. Okay. Whatever. Right. Switch them out. I have I have one in my bag now <laughs> and I don't know, I'll probably switch it out and use another one another day, something like that. Another pad, another day. Yeah, doing like we do. Uh, so anyway, uh, since we're back, um, I guess we, we talked a little bit about your food trek, but you, you said you had a question uh, for me that we didn't actually get to in the first section. Yeah, I remember you talking about, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sid's working, man. <coughs> <laughs> Damn Sid. Uh, no, I just I remember you mentioning a, a while ago that you had worked on a food truck, and I didn't remember getting a whole lot of like details about what you had done on there. Or, yeah, like, whether you enjoyed it because I feel like food trucks are very divisive. Like you either love food trucks or you hate them. Uh, I love food trucks, um, but yeah, this was uh, wow. It was probably about four years ago. Um, a friend of mine and I um, kind of dumped a whole shitload of money into a. Uh, Effectively a Winnebago. I don't think it was. Do. Uh, I don't think it was that brand specific. Winnebago is a brand, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, probably. Um, but it was some sort of like camper or whatever. Uh, we dumped a whole bunch of money into it and gutted it. Uh, and did you do it yourself, or this was like you had somebody else work on it? Uh, no, we did it ourselves. Uh, yeah, we just kind of like we had to look up all the specifications for like what we needed to do. Um, I knew some about like wiring electronics uh, from working at the studio and having to run uh, electrical, you know, lines through insulated walls and all kinds of stuff. So uh, doing it in the food truck was kind of, you know, I helped with that and uh, we had to come up with the whole, you know, three compartment sink. That's why I know that stupid rule, uh, which was also, hey, it's a great rule. Okay. I mean, sure. Uh, but not the rule. Um, but anyway, we we put together this whole thing, painted it, made signs, came up with the menu, um, and then. Uh, How long did it take for you to to, uh, to come up with the menu? Um, or I guess who was the who was the color, who was the chef behind the whole thing? Uh, so I I don't know if I should mention his name because I don't know if he'd well of you and your partner. It. Oh, like, my partner was it okay. was the chef, and he was an actual chef. Like he was like trained chef then he and he'd been one for <laughs> I like went to chef school he had been a chef for like 20 years and yeah. several like pretty well-known restaurants here in austin um and anyway so he came up with it he had kind of this idea it was a, it was a really cool idea and maybe something you know one day when i have another million dollars to spend I say another like i've had a million dollars to spend at some point and i never have but uh <laughs> but uh yeah, when I have another million dollars to spend. I feel like um, that's the thing is like most people don't realize. I think that's like actually why I kind of got, because I went to, to culinary school uh, before I went to nursing school. And that was what a lot of people were saying was like, oh, well, it's actually like a huge investment to start a restaurant or to to start your own business as a chef. Yeah. So and a lot of people do not realize that. So I don't know what the uh, the food bike cart cost uh or is going the end $3. result of it <laughs> it $3. wasn't three dollars but <laughs> like the end result of it you're probably going to spend you know i don't know what the bike cost but uh it's probably going to be a 
probably a few grand. I'm um, I'm trying to budget within five k, like probably five to seven. Yeah, and I would guess that that's if I were like if I were going to do what you're doing, that's probably what I would have assumed is about five thousand dollars is what it was going to take to build a functional. Uh, piece of you know besides all the marketing that you're gonna have to do and all of that like the functional piece of the business uh so for the food truck it was closer to like seventeen thousand dollars yeah it was much bigger thing we had lots of bigger equipment we were also doing like um mobile baked goods uh so we had like huge dough mixer and um you know, just like really intense ovens and all kinds of stuff. Plus the refrigeration and all. And, right. And well, you, in did you guys quantities. have these actually in the yep. truck, or do you did you partner with like a commissary or a kitchen? So we had middle? a commissary kitchen as well, uh, which actually you have to have. I yeah, think that was most another food trucks. Like you have to get rid of. That was another and... like licensing thing. Like we had to have a commissary. Yeah. Um, the. The caveat to that is that you don't necessarily have to use it, uh, and so we we had one that we could use if we needed to. Like, we knew that starting out, we probably weren't going to need to do as much stuff or make as much stuff, and we liked the idea of being able to, especially for the baked goods, like to be able to produce small batches in the truck that Mm -hmm. would be only available that day. Yeah. Um, And then like for the bigger things, like if we were making, let's say croissants every day, uh, we'd probably make those at the commissary kitchen and then just like bring them to the truck with it. And we wouldn't make those in there. Uh, So anyway, we had all this stuff uh, and everything was pretty much ready to go. The menu is really interesting kind of thing. I've mentioned baked goods a few times, but we were doing real uh, kolaches, which is funny because we live in Austin uh, and kolaches are like a thing here. They're kolaches th- are on the fad level of tacos in Austin. Yeah. Just like, the, it's inexplicably popular and, and the, the quality varies quite a bit. Yeah, dramatically. But also most of the things that people uh, uh, talk, like refer to as kolaches are actually not kolaches. Yeah. Um, Basically, anything with meat in it is actually not a kolache. It's a, it's what's called a koblosnik, or I might be saying that wrong, koblosnik. Sounds um, right. But uh, that that's the one with meat. Kolaches are actually like sweet, so they and they're open faced kind of things. Yeah, You've they're like them. the fruit filled or like a cheese. Yep. Yeah, uh, sweet pairing. Yeah, it's less a like a dough pocket with meat in it, more like a mm, like what a cheese. <laughs> Like, like, like they look similar to like what a cheese Danish looks like, you know, it's just like kind of like a flat pastry with like filling in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, looks like a doughy cookie anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, so we were doing those, but we wanted to do, uh, the thing with them here in Austin is that they're all, um, they're all morning. It's all, you know, everything you always get kolaches in the morning. Right. Um, and every kolache place here closes at like noon. Uh, so we wanted to do late night stuff and then supplement that with uh, kind of late night bar food, but like gourmet versions of it. So you yeah. talk about like mac and cheese. Uh, we were going to do like elbow macaroni with, uh, you know, a brie and cheddar bechamel. 
um, you know, like uh, sirloin chili. Uh, so you could do chili, <laughs> chili cheese or chili mac or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Frito pies and stuff like that. Like the using, highfalutin versions of bar food. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like like all of the favorite things that you could get at a carnival or whatever. Um, just did you I guess, have funnel cake at any point? We didn't have a fryer. That's upsetting. <laughs> fryers are uh, fryers are temperamental though. Like honestly, I'd be pretty terrified. To I've have a never fryer. had to work one, and I never want to no, in my life. No, it's, you don't want to. I went to a I went to a actually a a pop up food truck opening. Uh, is that was it called Kitty Lounge or something sure. like that? You know what I'm talking about? I think so. Yeah, it's over off of Paternalos. But anyways. Uh, we were going to go over there, a couple of me and a group of friends, and we got there and half of their awning was burnt down. Oh, because someone just like threw fryer, water into the fire? They had, the fire. Yeah, they had a fryer malfunction and then from the fryer malfunction, there was a propane fire. It was just like a whole clusterfuck of just, no, <laughs> just you did it wrong. Yeah, that and, sounds uh, miserable. Yeah, they were like, oh, well, we're actually closed down for a little while f- until we get... You know, like a new up. building. Yeah, and we ended up coming back later that day. They were fine, oh, okay, but fine. just their awning was uh, singed, shall we say? Fair enough. <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, I uh, we we started this thing. We had the menu. We had like marketing materials all made up. Uh, but at the time, um, both of us were kind of busy with uh, like real jobs, you sure. know. And it really kind of came down to the decision between were we both going to kind of give up the stability of what we had on this and then and dump all of our time and effort into this thing that was really cool and we we liked and believed in, but maybe didn't necessarily believe in as wholeheartedly as just being like in a safe play it safe mode. Sure. Um and so we didn't do it. Like neither one of us kind of committed to it. Uh, and maybe six months later, we sold the truck to someone else. Made made most of our money back, which was great. That's um, good. But yeah, that's the uh, that's the story of my failed attempt at uh, at <laughs> you know starting a food truck. Um, so you were in business. Six months or how? Like oh, we never actively. opened. Oh, yeah. Okay. So like this was all we we had built everything out. We developed the menu. We had tested it, and then it was like coming down to whether or not we were going to launch this or we were going to scrap it. Yeah. And we effectively decided to scrap it. Um, so I mean, what was that conversation doors. like? Like, was there a, I guess a he- like a a specific conversation where you, where you decided like, oh, okay, you know what, this is not going to work for either of us. Or was it just like a mutual, you both kind of came to that conclusion and then we're like, okay, well, uh, we, we definitely had a conversation about it. And it was, it was, you know, at some point after doing all this work, we like sat down and we're like, okay, so like, you know, we could launch here, are all the places, times we could launch, um, how are we going to do this? And then like through discussion, just kind of deciding like, well, actually I don't, I don't know if it's not that like my heart wasn't into it, but it was like, I don't know if I want to take that risk at this point in my life. Sure. And, and he kind of said the same thing. And then we were like, okay, well, 
you know, we built this thing, we could, we could just sell it off to someone else. I mean, effectively we just gave, we could just give someone a food truck. Yeah. Uh, menu and all and just be like here go here's the business yeah just have it yeah um that's the crazy thing to me is like being a part of this food truck group is there's all these different businesses like or sub businesses within the food truck community where like they build food trucks like that's all they do is just manufacture and outfit all of these amazing food trucks and they're just like they sell it ready to go you have your your business essentially ready which is just like I don't know, coming from what food trucks used to be, which was like this, like, you just kind of had to hodgepodge everything together. Sure. It was not up to code in any sort of way. <laughs> and now no it's... No three compartment sinks. There was no three compartment sinks, no. And, like, now it's all very official, very up to code. Like, everything's super fucking clean and, like, you know, stainless steel and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, wow, we've... The food truck community has come a long way, and it's really interesting that it's moving into this more legitimate field where it's you can be uh, like a high scale or upscale uh, restaurant or like business essentially sure. uh, operating out of a food truck, which I feel like used to be reserved for like no, you're street tacos and like no <laughs> yeah, give a exactly. shit about you. It's like yeah. no, now we have gourmet mac and cheese. You're welcome. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's it is a really interesting thing to see. I also think that Austin specifically has done it uh, much different than um, a lot of other cities. Like yeah, other they've cities. embraced food trucks a lot. I think they they understand that like we have a limitation on like how much uh, property we actually have available for restaurants because you do have like if you're if you're moving into a brick and mortar. That's a huge undertaking to actually convert into a restaurant uh, ready business. Whereas like you take a truck and like that's still a fair amount of effort, but it's well, on again, a smaller like, scale. Like, you know, like just going back to like the scale of uh, your project versus my project versus uh, a brick and mortar restaurant, you know, like yours you're you had you're basically effectively going to have like one thing your biggest worry is refrigeration you talked right. about uh you're talking a total uh investment in equipment of about $5,000 mm-hmm. ours was closer to what a restaurant would be like but we also yeah. didn't have to worry about like places for people to sit and uh, effectively all we're doing is building a kitchen in a small right. space then you're talking $15,000 uh, 15 to 20 or something like that. And then, you know, a real restaurant is like, not only that, but you got to like, everything's got to look super amazing. You know, yeah. like d- making the outside of a truck look great is much easier than making the inside of a restaurant look yeah. like somewhere you want to eat. No, sa- um, sound padding alone in a restaurant is a whole fucking science in and of itself. It's yeah. Like, it's uh, How do we make sure that other people's annoying conversations aren't leaking into other people's annoying conversations? It's yeah. a legitimate worry of restaurant owners. Yeah. So, you know, again, you know, like looking into a restaurant, uh, you know, the, um, I guess like even like the cheapest parts of town and stuff like that, you're probably looking at, you know, five to 10 times the amount of investment that would be, uh, have to be invested into a truck to effectively get to a point that you could open, um, with a similar menu Mm -hmm. and, 
and be ready. And even then you still wouldn't have enough because you'd have to hire employees and all kinds of stuff. You know, you're yeah. You at the end of the day, you're talking like, you know, a quarter million, half a million dollars to like, especially anywhere in, you know, central Austin. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're just going to spend so much money. It would be, it'd be, it'd be impossible to do it on the budgets that you talk about for like a, a for a food business. truck or yeah. or anything else, you know. That's so. kind of what I want to do with this whole uh, bike cart business. Is it doesn't have to necessarily be a food oriented business, but like being able to have a mobile business. Like you could easily convert this bike that I have into a mobile barber shop or a mobile dry cleaner. Like it's. I would totally be all about a mobile barber shop, right? I exactly. so I get my hair cut every once in a while. Uh, <laughs> Like once every like and people five notice. months. I know. Because <laughs> it gets out of fucking control for a long time. I just and remember then all sitting sudden, in the office yesterday and just hearing like, well, Spin, you got a haircut. Looks really good. <laughs> yeah. It was like nonstop. For, it's like the day that I washed my hair, people were like, well, did you get a haircut? Your hair looks really good. It's like, no, it's like, I, just, no, it's just, I washed it. It's just put some shampoo. I don't have a hat on. Today. Yeah, exactly. It's really all it is. Uh, <laughs> but one of the reasons why I don't get a haircut more often is um, I'm lazy, uh, and two, I just like I, primary I, reason. I don't want like I don't want to have to like go somewhere and wait and stuff like that. I'd much rather like if everything. This is the laziness in me, right? Yeah, like, first world problem. If everything could just come to me, like if I could just live in the age of Wally, I would be, <laughs> I would be all Have about being own, fat and uh, gross in a little lazy pod. Chair. Yeah, <laughs> and I could just, you know, like I don't know, drive through a haircut machine that would just cut my hair. Oh man, it would be great. Haircut um, machines are always just kind of a terrifying gamble. Like, in theory, they sound great, and then you actually see the machine that is filled with blades and razors, and you're just like, no, that's a, that's a bad idea. It sounds amazing. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, I I love the idea of being able to provide, like, an opportunity or a platform for people to just, like, okay, I have this beginning uh like starting point for a business. Sure. Yeah. And like, it's completely self-contained, like whatever you want to make it, you can customize it to whatever you want to do, which is really cool. That's like the ultimate, this Boba tea business is kind of be more, it's going to be more of like a proof of concept. Sure. That you could just make a mobile business. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then from there, um, I'd like to try and like actually open a studio here where I'm helping other people build their bikes. And even if it's just for like, I want a bike so that I can go, you know, take my kids to the grocery store and pick up groceries. Like that's huge. Yeah, totally. Like um, I, I want to be able to to kind of encourage people in Austin just because, you know, we we have a a better space in Austin than most cities or than some other cities uh, to to be more bike friendly and to use bikes as mm-hmm. a as their primary mode of transportation. But a lot of people are just like. I don't, I don't see that being an option or it's like if we gave people, you know, the, the, the concept of a cargo bike is so foreign here where it's like, that was a really crazy thing about going to Copenhagen when you're just like, Oh my God, everyone has a cargo bike here. That is, that is interesting. And so like, you know, this, like I ride a bike once in a while uh, <laughs> and I have, I, own I, bikes. I, 
I own bikes. Yeah, I should say that. Uh, <laughs> I have, I have a nice bike. A nice um, bike. Uh, but one of the, I used to ride them a lot more, and I still do ride them uh, occasionally. Uh, but I used to ride them a lot more. But what's hard for me, I guess, is that as friendly as Austin is to bikes, and as friendly as as well equipped as it is for bikes and things like that, I think that slowly over time it's actually becoming worse and worse to be like i'm that's what i was actually about to say it's like yeah. austin really likes to project an idea of friendliness towards bikes but like in actuality and this was a really interesting part it was like i actually just met someone at the dog park uh and he had moved there that day that i was mm-hmm. talking to him and he was like well what's it like to actually bike around because he lives south of the river and he's going to bike into downtown sure. and i was trying to think of like routes that were safe to him safe for him and I was like well you can't really there's bike lanes on Congress but also those are kind of still sketchy and don't don't go anywhere near Lamar like Austin has a weird uh uh love hate relationship with bikes sure where they want to project this friendliness towards bikes that they don't actually you know, provide for any of the infrastructure in reality. Yeah. They have a lot of good propositions. They have a lot of good groups that, that work and, uh, and represent for the bike community here. But in actuality, there's not a whole lot of solid representation in, you or, know, or not representation. I, would, I shouldn't say that, but uh, real progress being made. Yeah. Again, like from an outside perspective, if you look at Austin, it, it feels like a really bike friendly city, but uh, I've actually lived in several other cities um, that like, even like, like Boston is not super well equipped for bikes, but it is yeah. probably one of the best cities that I lived in to bike in because it was, it's so, um, it's such a full city. There's so many people there yeah. and so many of them ride bikes that it's like commonplace. Like, yeah. it, you know, like, here, even though bikes are accepted as kind of like people do that, it's still kind of like it's you're still just very a, much the outlier. Yeah, you're just a weird hipster that rides a bike. Where right. Everyone else is Texas drive a truck, right? Right. Like, exactly. Why are you not driving the giant? The fuck is wrong truck? with you? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it it is weird. Uh, so I agree with you. I'd love it if, if at one point we could get to a point where people did that, where people had cargo, but I would. I would love to be able to just ride a bike to the grocery store and, yeah. you know, come home with all of my groceries. But I mean, that but was the like, truth is, is I'm terrified to like go down the street. Yeah, that was you know, the thing is there. like being in Copenhagen, the way that their streets are actually set up is they have the regular like car lane and then they have a dedicated bike lane pretty much everywhere you go in the major met- metropolitan areas, you had a dedicated bike lane and the bike lanes were wide enough such that like, two cargo bikes could effectively pass each other if there was a cargo bike that was like really booking it, which incidentally I got passed by another cargo bike, which just feels really weird to just be like <laughs> just <owned> so <laughs> by another cargo bike where I was like, man, that just feels, I don't know. I, I was like thoroughly enjoying myself because normally if I'm on a bike, I'm like, I need to get from point A to point B as fast as fucking possible. Sure. Uh, and so I was kind of like enjoying this other scenario of like being on a cargo bike and just kind of like enjoying everything and just, you know, looking around and enjoying the sights. And then all of a sudden this other, like 
53-year-old woman on a cargo bike passes me going very fast. And I'm like, damn it. I need to, like, really step up my game. And she was, like, carrying, like, a full load of groceries and a child or two, I think. I'm not sure. I saw, Could've like, been, a lot of different It might have been a baguette. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but uh, anything. But, no, it was just – it was such a nice experience in general. It was – there was a steady flow of car traffic and a steady flow of bike traffic to the point where, like, I really, you know, obviously I couldn't read the signs there because they were in Danish, but um, I could still follow the general flow of traffic because I saw what other bikes were doing. Sure. Like, that's yeah. not really an option here. Like, if you're biking around, you're probably on your own. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because, yeah. it's like, that's still how rare it is to bike. Like, if you see another bike, you're like, oh, cool, bike. It should yeah, just exactly. be like a commonplace thing. Like, yeah, we're all like commuting here. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a really weird thing. And again, like if you're listening to this and you're not in Austin, you're, you probably think we're fucking crazy. Cause you probably hear, if you've heard about it, it feels like this, you know, kind of hipster, you know, hippie city. Everyone's probably riding around on their bikes and being vegans. And, you know, this is true though. Uh, and there are a lot of people that are these things, but it's still very much Texas. It's isolated to, you know, a, a, a certain section of the city. Like if you're where I live, which is like downtown Austin on the east side, there's, sure. just, there's a lot of people on bikes. That's a very small section of Austin, though. And that's an even smaller section of Texas. And it's also being encroached upon by people that aren't that. Right, exactly. Uh, so yeah, it's it's uh until like the entire mindset changes it. Yeah. It may be this for a while. Yeah. So that's like that's my ultimate goal is to just kind of uh be a greater presence for cargo bikes and and making biking more of an option. Sure. And and not just like a a thing that people who have a certain lifestyle and have a have a certain level of income can can have access to. Like I think that's the biggest part is like there's a conversation about bike culture and encouraging biking versus, you know, the real world. And like, especially on the East side where, um, you know, the East side was, uh, historically a lower socioeconomic area. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, all of these like hipsters on bikes are moving in and they're kind of like pushing these people out, but it's supposed to be like touted as this bike friendly area. And it's like, well, it's bike friendly, but it's only bike friendly because you can afford to be bike friendly. Yeah. And it's, it's really, so that's where the interesting like city planning part of it comes into play where you really have to think about all the infrastructure that goes into play or, or, or comes into play with, you know, making sure that if you are encouraging biking, you have to set up the infrastructure, like long, like long distance commuting. You have to make sure that your trains and buses and everything like that is, is in place so that people who are biking in, from outside of downtown to downtown, you can actually get there. And you're not yeah. biking like 20 miles on your own. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting problem, and I don't know if it's one we're going to solve uh, on this <laughs> podcast necessarily. I mean, we could try, but it's not going to go well. Uh, <laughs> in any case, uh, maybe we should take another short break, um, mm. and we'll come back and... Um, we'll talk solve about something else. Yeah, we'll, so, yeah, we'll, we'll just you know, solve all of the problems. Yeah, city planning. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah, we got this. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll be right back.
All right, so uh, we got a little distracted during our break, uh, and because of that, I never did a little welcome thing. So um, I'm just going to let this kind of fade into the conversation that we were already having. I hope you guys enjoy this last segment, Um, and here we go. The company that I'm looking through doing or getting insurance through, it has like a very good plan and I've like talked to a bunch of other people about it and they're like yeah we've used this and it's been great but I hadn't really considered like oh yeah there's some vets that take it and some vets that don't yeah so yeah of course the one that I go to they don't take fucking anything I mean is there a reason that you're going to this vet over other vets uh so it was the fr- so it was the vet that I took him to the first time he got sick and they did great work it was this vet on south first um it so it's south close first, right? What's that? Was it South First Vet? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, but they got bought out by Corner Vet, which is a vet over on the east side. Yeah. It's all fancy. They're very expensive. They are very expensive. And so now that's his vet because mm-hmm. they had all of his stuff and all of that. And it's sure. like I just went back to the same place. They are very expensive. The reason why it's cost five grand, though, over the last uh, six months is not entirely because of them. Like, they are expensive, but uh, they, he had to stay in the hospital for, like, several days. Right. And there are no vets, there are no vets within, like, five miles of here that do overnight care, uh, except for emergency vets. Sure. And all of the emergency vets are, like, crazy expensive. expensive. Yeah. Yeah, It's, like, just insanity. So, like, it was, like, a, it was, like, a grand a night for him to, like, stay. It was insanity. Um, so, yeah, I took him back this last time and another $400 uh, to have him, like, you know, be watched for a day and given fluids and do tests and yeah. all kinds of shit. Uh, and they sent me home with this stuff. And I'm really hoping this, like, fixes it because if it gets much more expensive, like, I really don't know what I... It's, like, the most depressing thing that I'm going to say all day. But, like, I really don't know what I'm... yeah gonna have to do like after I a certain point like I, I i like financially cannot continue to do like i'm yeah. still paying for the first time he got sick right. much less the second time he got sick and now this is the third time and i'm just like have you looked into getting insurance through another uh i did but again you know like group? you get your cat better and uh you spend you spend, you know, $1,500 doing it, and then you're like, okay, well, I probably have some time to, like, repay that and save up some money in case sure. this happens again, and then, like, a month and a half later, he gets sick again, and you spend three and a half grand yeah. to get him better, and then you're like, okay, well, now he's for sure good because right? the <laughs> first time, you know, like arguably we were like, let's try and do this as cheap as possible. And I spent a grand and a half And this time because I'm following all of the instructions that you're giving me and I'm making sure that he's going to stay in fucking hospitals for overnight and driving him out to Westlake emergency hospital because it was the one that they recommended, even though it was more expensive, they were like, he'll get the best care there. And then you're like, okay, fine. You know, like after all of this, like, for sure, he's probably fine for like Have a half long. a year yeah, at least, at least right? right? And then nope. two months later, he's peeing blood again, and it's like, 
Like, I don't know. It's, it's yeah. I'm just like, I'm really fucking stressing out about it. And no, I'm trying dude. to like not. That's why I'm uh, like be concerned. trying to figure out all this shit for <laughs> Bulma. And I'm just like, because I am not at all in a position to like, if something catastrophic happened to her, or if she got sick, like very intensely, would not be able to really like handle that financial burden. So I'm like, okay, I got to start preparing yeah, for this and, and like get some sort of uh, insurance going because like, Actually, this insurance plan, I think it's coming out to like 45 or $50 a month, but they cover like catastrophic like surgeries and rehab and all that, sh- all that shit, which is kind of fucking crazy to me. Yeah. And so like for, for Sid, like up until now, like before he got sick the first time this year, it was, I was saving, like I had savings specifically set aside in case something happened to Sid, like, right. you know, and it wasn't a ton. It was, I had... I had about, I had about $1,500, which is about what it cost the first time. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, you figure. That's under like, the assumption that like, it's going to happen once. Yeah, exactly. And I yeah. was still putting money into it. I was just like, okay, like I'm going to continue to put money into this. And eventually I've got like five grand in there. And it's like, he's probably not going to get five grand sick. You would think. Uh, but then, you know, you burn through $1,500 and you're like, okay, well, at least I had that saved and I can save back up to that again right. and be fine. But then before you even get to that point, it's like, here's another $3,500 bill. Yeah. And then now you're fucking, you know, four grand in the hole. Yeah. And, uh, and then, yeah. And then, uh, you know, you're like, okay, well, fine. I did that. I love this animal so <laughs> much. Know, oh my God. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pay more money and I'm going to make sure that he's, he's good and, mm-hmm. uh, I'll just pay it off. And then he gets sick again. And it, this time actually kind of pissed me off because I went in, they checked him out and they were like, oh yeah, we just, we, we can do like a quick test of his urine and blah, 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 or whatever. I was like, okay, awesome. And they were like, well, he doesn't have anything, you know, like we could keep him for a couple hours if you like come back and pick him up, you know, at six or whatever. And it's, you know, like I didn't get like a estimate or an invoice of anything that was going to be done to him that day. And then I get back and they're like, you owe us $370. Yeah, (laughs) that's why. I'm like, you motherfuckers. Like, I honestly think veterinaries is a scam. Like, it is one of the biggest scams in the world because it's just playing off your emotions and it costs so much more than it possibly could. Healthcare in general. Well, healthcare in general. But but it's always putting you in a a position that you should never have to make decisions, like, intense financial decisions in any ways. Sure, yeah. yeah. Like, no one's ever going to be like, oh, well, I can't really afford a $5,000 surgery, but also, like, this person's going to die that I love, you know, it's like, or I'm going to die myself that I love. I love myself. So yeah. it's like, yeah, I'm it, a it, very narcissistic person. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I want to continue living. Yeah. You know, life is nice. Okay. Yeah. I, I agree with you that in health uh, care in general is overpriced. Although I, I would say that like, it's not entirely fair for like all of America. Right. But it, you know, my own health care currently I'm in a much better situation than my cat is, right? Sure. Uh, in the sense that, like... I don't know. Your cat's in a pretty good position. Right yeah, I mean, he's doing all right. <laughs> uh, but, like, for me, like, I... If if I got, like, incredibly sick, sure, I'm going to spend some money, but I actually do have insurance. And, yeah. 
whatever the end result is, like whatever doctors get paid or, you know, pharmaceutical companies get paid, like I don't necessarily care about that shit. I, I agree that it's all a corrupt system or whatever, but like the end result out of my pocket is not necessarily that bad it could be comparatively better, it like, could be way better i agree but the, the, i would the history spend of like if i why? if i got if i got in a car accident today yeah and i had to be in the hospital for three months and uh ended up going to physical therapy for the rest of the year i would spend less out of pocket than i have spent on my cat in the last six months i mean you think that no i would i like I actually, I would. Like, you know that for sure? Yeah, I have an out-of-pocket maximum that is, like, less than what I've spent on my cat. Mm. And so as long as I got all that health care done this year, yeah. I would spend less on, my, uh, on myself, right? And that, again, that's, I'm not saying that, yeah, if it continued on, I could, I could, you yeah. know, I had health bills beyond that. Yes, I agree, it, it could be a lot worse and stuff like that. But, like, the entire point of... I mean, I think one of the biggest things that pissed me off about this last time is that, like, I, so, again, I didn't get told how much it was going to cost, or even, like, a ballpark figure, that I was going to come back and owe almost $400. That's the crazy thing to me, that, like, people assume that they just have an extra 300 400 Like, what is it, the... um The average for America, or for Americans in general, is... uh. An an unexpected expense of greater than like twelve hundred dollars, maybe that it was a thousand dollars, would significantly set back the average American family to the oh, point yeah. that that would absolutely wipe out any savings that they had and eat into any credit that they might have. Oh yeah, which is not that's not a that's not a big amount. Like a thousand dollars is. Or I want to say it was even less than that. I want to say it was like eight hundred dollars. But like any an, an unexpected cost between like let's say $1,000 would just significantly fuck up someone's life. Yeah. And, and effectively that's what's happening. So again, so like that's I, what I'm I, like, I don't understand why all these businesses are operating under the assumption that like, oh, yeah, we'll just tell someone that they owe $400 out of nowhere and just not expect them to freak out at all. Well, yeah, exactly. And what, again, what pissed me off so much about this last time is I go in and they show me the thing and the girls like walking me through, line by line of what I owe and why. Uh, and I'm like, I never agreed to any of these fucking things. Like, yeah, you didn't tell me that hospitalization for a day for five hours yeah, not was even going to cost a hundred dollars. Right. Like I would have just brought him back when he needed to pee again, because that's all that happened. Yeah. You know? Uh, but anyway, whatever. Uh, so I owe you all this stuff and she's like, Oh, well, you know, like I could discount this one and I'm thinking like, okay, maybe she's helping me out and she can like take off like, I don't know, $10 or something like that. Like just like a minimal amount. She's like 25% off. And I'm like, the fact that you can just do that and it requires no authorization. You're just the receptionist at this place obviously means that like everything on this list is way overcharging me. Like there's absolutely no way that like, like you are making a fucking a killing off of this. And the only reason you are is because you know that it's like my best friend dying and, and you could, 
you could basically be like, this is going to cost you a million dollars. And I'd be like, fuck it. No, it's all arbitrary. It's all, I mean, uh, what I was saying earlier is if you look at the, the history of the medical industry and especially the medical education industry, um, in America is like before, like at the, at the, um, kind of like beginning of medical schools in North America, the, 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 um, the idea in pretty much every other country was it was a publicly funded education. So yeah. the government funded it. It all was financed by the government. Um, and then uh, America was pretty much like one of the first countries to start saying like, you know what, this needs to be privately funded. This is a tuition-based school yeah. or a tuition-based program. And a lot of those costs pretty much from the beginning have now been passed down to the patient, yeah. which is like, because these schools, these tuitions are, are so astronomically high, not to mention the cost of setting up your own medical practice, all of the equipment and business costs that are related with that is huge. Oh, yeah. Like, you you have no choice as a medical professional other than to, uh, you have and no in choice. In this country, to, yeah. except to charge just astronomical crazy prices. amounts of money. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just, it's really interesting, like, the contrast that you see between America or North American countries or well, eh, America because Canada obviously has their own deal going on. They're just doing their thing. You know, you Canada, know. Yeah. Trudeau and whatnot. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's, it's a really interesting contrast that you see where you're like, Oh, okay. Uh, publicly funded healthcare versus privately funded is actually, it makes a lot more sense because it's like, it's not a decision that you should have to make. You shouldn't be put in, in this position of making financially based uh, choices when you are going to die. Like it's just, no one's going to make. Yeah. I, th- know, I think that is actually the, the biggest crime choice. of it is, yeah. is that you're basically like, again, uh, well, it's extortion. Yeah. It, like, again, it's, it's we're, we're really talking about, we're talking about my cat and like, I love my cat so much. Uh, he is my best friend. This is going to get a little sappy. Uh, no, but like, of the things in my life, Sid has been the only constant for like the last nine years of my life. Yeah. Like literally everywhere I've gone, everywhere I've been, the relationships that I've had, the ups and downs in my life, depression, all kinds of stuff. Every single part of it, Sid has been there for. Yeah. So obviously it means a lot to me. But, like, it's some part in your head has to go, like, this is a fucking animal. And, like, I can't afford to ruin my own life for this animal. But when you get put in that situation, when you get put in that moment, and they're, like, like the other day, like, they were, like, well, it's going to cost $350, 370-something dollars uh, for everything that we did on him today. It's, like, this heart-wrenching, just, like, it's going to cost you $400 or we're going to murder your cat. Yeah. And it's like you're, or we're going to murder the best friend you've had for nine years. Yeah. And it's like, okay, how how the fuck do you even answer that? How do you like come to terms with that in your, in your head? Like it's just, and, and it's even worse when it becomes like human lives. Like if it was your child or if it was you personally or or like yeah. a a loved one or a significant other or something like that like at what point do you say like 
You know, like this is I, no longer reasonable for me to to. Uh, it's going to cost a hundred thousand dollars a month to keep this person on an iron lung. Yeah. Like, at what point do you say, like, no, fucking kill that person, or no, I'm just going to never. I'm going to be homeless for the rest of my fucking but life. But that's the thing is, like, that's why. But it's a decision I, that you have to make in this crazy moment right. when you have nothing but like a, like just just emotions. just emotions just going running rampant, uh, and uh, you can't even be like again going back to like my cat right like you can't even be logical at at that moment like yeah as cold as it is like if you if I went back to the decision to pay five grand over the last six months on my cat, mm-hmm. like no one logically would ever make that decision. You'd be like, okay, fuck it. He's a cat and uh, I can get I another can't cat. Tell, man. There's some people, I, I think that's like the biggest thing that kind of annoys me about being in like the pet owner community and especially the dog owning community. I don't know. I guess pet owning in general is like, there's a lot of people who have very, very strong convictions about the length at which you should go or, or go to for your animals where it's like, or for your pets where it's just like, all right, well you do have to be reasonable to a point, you know, and not completely fuck up your own life. Well, I'm, well I'm saying like, you know, like in the moment I feel like I'm the person that would go to all of those lengths. Sure. I would d- just keep sit alive. It's looking back on it and going like, Oh, that was a terrible yeah. spending five grand in six months was a terrible life choice for me right especially now where it's like he's sick again it's like how much longer should i continue this same process right Right. like if he doesn't get better this time should i like i don't know what is the choice there it's like way i don't know it's just like a heavy i don't know i'm stressing the fuck out about it right now understandably it's not a it's not a position that like that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. It's like it's not a position that we should reasonably expect to to put someone in and have them make a decision that both makes financial sense and emotional sense where you're like, okay, this is this is what is the best outcome for both people in this scenario or or both individuals. You yeah. know? And it's just it that's why, you know, publicly funded healthcare and in this case, I guess vet care. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we should have publicly funded vet care. I think but we should have publicly funded vet care. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to debate that with you. But, but, at the, but at the same time, like, uh, I'm fucking debate that right now. I, I, I think the reason why I would say that you shouldn't, or why it shouldn't be, is because like owning a pet is kind of a luxury. No, right? I, um, like, like. You shouldn't be able to have one if you can't take care of one. Sure. But I also think it is a total scam and a rip off uh, the amount of money that they charge yeah. for uh, health care for uh, pets. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so uh, if you couldn't tell, we're back from the break <laughs> that we took. Uh, wow. You know. We've been talking for like a long time. Um, <laughs> about about uh pet health care. Uh but let's let's get into something we meant to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um a little bit more lighter. Uh cults and religion. Yeah, cults, you know? <laughs> religion and uh and how that affects everything. Speaking of cults, have you heard of the veterinary industry? <laughs> <laughs> Hey-o. So good. Uh so uh 
yeah, let's let's talk about some cults. So what what do you have on your mind about cults? Why do you uh, want to talk about them? So kind of from what we were actually talking about the other day is we were talking about the Church of Scientology. Ah, yeah. And yeah. why it's like, I what didn't think What were we talking that, about the other day? Yeah, so <laughs> we we have a a location for the Church of Scientology that's very close to the University uh, of Texas. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like across the street. It is basically across the street from one of their primary cam- campuses. And um, I don't think that that should be an option. It's it's very bizarre to me that the Church of Scientology, which is, I would say, acknowledged as a cult amongst the general population. I, th- uh, I think you're correct that the general population probably acknowledges them as a cult, but there's a f- I, I would say there's a fair amount of people that just say that it's just another religion. Yeah. And I think this was my argument before was was not that I am arguing for the Church of Scientology to have a location across the street from the University of Texas. I think that is actually wrong. Yeah. But simultaneously, there's like five other churches, both across the street and on the campus grounds right. uh, that, you know... It, that are like right there. So that if, if the church of Scientology shouldn't have that, then also those other ones shouldn't have it. They right. should all, they should all be restricted from having the same access. Right. So the, and that's what I was trying to kind of look at yesterday was, all right. So really like, what is the difference between a cult and a religion? So I have, so uh, this is a dangerous uh, <laughs> rabbit hole we could go down, but, uh, so I have the the standard Wikipedia, or actually, I think this is Marion. Marion Webster, yeah, little little dictionary. Let's yeah. do it. So the definition for a cult, uh, according to Marion Webster, is a system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object, um, or alternatively, a misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing. Uh, and then at uh. For religion, which is the belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling, uh, especially, I'm sorry, a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal god or gods, which to me doesn't have a whole lot of difference. Yeah, I think that's, I think that was also the same argument that I was trying to make is that uh, the difference between a cult and a religion is so minuscule. Um, like, in reality, I think it's... This would be my definition of the separation of those two. Is that a religion is a religion that we've all decided is a religion, and a cult is a religion that we've all decided is bad. Yeah. And they're both the same thing, except except that, like, a collective body of us have decided that one is worse than the other. And in reality, they're probably Usually in practice the same. the same thing. Yeah. The problem is, is that Scientology as a religion has a minuscule percentage of followers compared to Christianity. Sure. So it's really easy to convince all of these people that believe in one religion to say that the other religion is a cult right and then that one becomes a cult um from a perspective of from an outside perspective right that's what i'm trying Uh, to figure out is like at what point does a cult turn into a religion is it is it really just a matter of how many people 
accept it to be a normal way of life? Or is it the actual like qualities of the group or organization that that makes it uh, or or puts it in the cult versus religion? Well, so I think that's an interesting, uh, I guess, um, question because I, d- I don't know. And and this is just me, maybe not knowing. I, I I don't know of any cult that has ever become a religion, right? There's yeah. the, no one has started a started a religion that was looked at as a cult and that now is accepted as a religion. I don't know. I'd have um, to look at like because I don't know how was Catholicism accepted when sure. it first was proposed as a. So what I would say is that that a cult is a more modern definition that at the time all of them were so tiny every all religions were so tiny it was just a following of a person right like yeah effectively all of them were just like social groups uh as like uneducated as that statement is uh you know uh versus now like it's again i think the the idea of a cult is is it has to be labeled one by a larger body yeah and it only gets labeled that because Christianity, Catholicism, all the major religions of the world can look at this newcomer to it and say, like, you are not one of us because we have all of these, you know, we've been established and Mm -hmm. they will never have enough time or following to ever become a real religion. Yeah. Uh, I think probably the closest thing you have to that is like the church of, uh, uh, the, the Mormon church, church of Latter-day Saints. Sure. Uh, which is uh, that Christianity exists in the early 1900s kind of thing. But even in that situation where we had such small, I mean, like what's, what's the population difference between, you know, like the 1901 versus now, you know, like, I have an exact figure for you. I definitely know all of that information. <laughs> I, well, no, I, 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 you get what I mean. Yeah, though. Yeah, like, yeah. like it's and also like what what's your access to information at that right. time versus now? Like it's it's much easier to like if a religion wanted to start up today, it'd be you'd be battling a really huge battle, and right. you would probably get labeled a cult and be that for a long time. I don't know. I mean, I think. I think being labeled a cult, you do have to possess certain properties or or certain qualities. Uh, You know, usually there's a financial aspect where you're making sure that the majority of your followers' income is going towards that practice. Um, Likewise, with the time and devotion that that you expect of your followers, you're you're expecting them to, to place a lot of their time into you know, uh, professing the word and, and, and evangelism and, and whatnot. So it's, I think to me, the difference between cults and religions is kind of a financial one, but I feel like religions tend to do it more subtly because you do have that whole, like when I was, uh, I was raised as Christian, like, uh, born again, I believe it was. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Sure. I don't, I don't know. You don't know? Well, I, I don't know what religion you, you were, you grew up with. No, I don't. Uh, but yeah, I think we were, I've researched I think the term everything was, about your life. Yes. Uh, I think the term was born again and you were, you were expected to tithe 10% of your income towards oh, okay. the church, which sure. is 
Uh, a not, substantial yeah, amount. It's not an insignificant amount. Yeah. Um. And so that was, to me, like that. Like I said, like that's a that's a sub- substantial amount of your income to put towards something that isn't going towards your anything else that you're really trying to accomplish in life. Sure. Um. So I have a, I have a difficult time separating religion and cults because, like, to me, the difference is a financial requirement. Usually, cults are trying to take a certain amount of uh, money from the people that that they're recruiting and then also uh the ability to manipulate those people and like kind of uh spread whatever whatever ideas they're they're practicing so i guess the the argument i'd have against that is because i I see where you're going like where we could say like scientology is a cult because of the financial investment you have to make to be a part of it Mm -hmm. um whereas christianity doesn't have that inherent uh like financial burden that is required of you. Kind of. However, it but does I mean, have I, that it does. from a social aspect, right? Yeah. Like if you're not giving to the church and you are part of the church, uh, then you are somehow a lesser part of the church or yeah. lesser in- included. And so like, again, if we wanted, if we wanted to say that and Scientology is also, so maybe I'm going to go back on my statement earlier is like, Scientology, I don't think was ever labeled a cult before it became a religion. I think it was a religion first and people are now labeling it a cult, if that makes more sense, because it was, it was never so small as like a group of people in a compound, you know, like. Yeah. And I think that's the (laughs) typical idea of what a cult is. It's like, there's some, there's a, there's the ultimate figure, you know, the figurehead of whatever the cult is and the, and he's kind of, or he or she are, is leading whatever. And then there's the rest of the group of people and they're usually on a compound and they have very, like a very or strict just a way of small life. enough group of people yeah. that they can be very restricted. But I, and maybe, maybe Scientology did start that way. Again, I don't know any of the history of this, but like, uh, to me, at least in my experience of Scientology of like what I've known about it, it's always been of much larger organization uh, than than anything else, and that it it was basically a religion right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, that is now, na- so it's like going backwards. Which, which right. again, I I don't know if there's necessarily ever been a case that a cult has become a religion, but a religion could become a cult. Yeah, right. Like could be labeled the other way. Uh, but again, going back to the financial investment portion of it, yes, there is there is a significant amount of financial investment required to be a Scientologist. In fact, to like move up in the church, you have to spend fuck tons of money. Yeah. Um, versus other religions, Christianity specifically, there's no real financial uh, investment required of you, right. but it is like socially required because sure. if you're not doing it, then you're kind of the outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess where I was going is like, how are those two different? Um, yeah, I, that, I think that's like the difficult thing for me. I, like, I, I don't see a whole lot of difference between yeah, and we're not going to solve this and, either. And, but and, or, or religious organizations and cults is, is to me because they both have the same really bizarre types of beliefs where it's like, all right, well, I believe this like in this random person or or being in the sky that is constantly watching over me versus 
well, there's aliens that are inhabiting our yeah, bodies. Yeah, it's effectively the yeah. same thing. Yeah, like, right? it's all very bizarre beliefs, which, I don't know. I mean, you can argue so many different ways where it's like, everything in this world is really fucking bizarre if you think about it long That's enough. fair. I think, so I talked about this in another episode uh, uh, about religion specifically, was that when we take things literally, like there are alien beings living inside me, there's a dude in the sky, there's whatever, like, yeah, we, I feel like most people could agree that we're fucking crazy. Uh, that sure. instead, the morality of what these things teach you, like, be a good person, like, don't fuck over people for no reason. Yeah. Like, those kinds of things are actually beautiful and amazing and, and useful out of out of religion. And that if religion were that like if it were just that Mm -hmm. uh it'd actually be a great thing like if we could all just understand how Mm uh how not literal the stories are yeah but they're stories that help us be better people because we understand them we relate to stories yeah we yeah we relate to the things that happen to them it's easier for us to understand easier for us to remember like right like the uh Mouse that pulled the the thorn out of the lion's paw or whatever, you know, like, mm-hmm. be nice to people, even if they're, like, your enemy, because, like, if you do, they'll be nice to you, like, everyone gets <laughs> along or, or yeah. whatever. It's it's a, it's better from a societal aspect that's, uh, than anything else. I think that's what else. I'm, I guess I'm most confused about is, like, what, when did we move away from, like, fables versus religion? Because I feel like fables accomplished a lot of the same goals as religions. I, I feel like it, it, so in, at least in my head, they are effectively the same thing. Uh, it's just that one requires a lot more social structure around mm-hmm. it. And, and a lot of that is we could go into like the conspiracy of, you know, churches and stuff like that. But a lot of that is, is just for the sake of controlling the people that are following it rather yeah. than, rather than like I think teaching what, them morality. Yeah. I, I want to, I want you to follow these rules because if you follow these rules, I can make sure that you do the things that I want you to do. Yeah, exactly. I think that's like really where religion started to, I don't know. I want to make statements, but like, I, I feel like people realize the power of, of these moral arguments and then decided that, oh, we can actually direct this towards our own personal gains and our own personal profits. Oh, yeah. I mean, and like I, we realize that human beings generally really want to be good people uh, for the most part. I mean, there's. And so we can exploit that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't think that's actually outside of human nature, right? Like, uh, we are survivalists by instinct, right? So the thing that helps me survive. Uh, is always the thing that I will instinctually choose. And if I can survive better by ruining you, it's not something that I would put past myself right. instinctually. Like yeah. I'm I'm obviously like I think we have a lot of logic in our heads and we're able to like the that's actually kind of the beauty of the human race versus like um 
you know, like let's talk lions or something like that. Like a lion pride, the a pride of lions mm-hmm. will actively try and encroach on someone else's territory and t- on, on another pride's territory and take it over and willingly let the that pride die mm-hmm. because it's better for themselves. So I think we instinctually have that same brain, right? yeah. But we have the logic to be able to say, like, hey, actually, if the two prides of us work together, it'd be better for both of us. Right. Right. Like, animals it's a, it's don't have whole, that brain. It's the whole argument between uh, being a socialist and being a capitalist. Like, sure. what do you have to gain? Can you gain more on your own or can you gain more as a group? Yeah. And not to say that I think there's some validity in, like, the, uh, in the, you know, perfect world of capitalism. I think it's actually, it might even be a better system in in the sense that like the idea of it is the best ideas always shine through. Yeah. Um, That's why neither of these are necessarily the end all be all. Like socialism has its, uh, its good qualities and so does capitalism. Like I think that there are admirable qualities for both of these systems. Sure. I don't think it should be like a black and white system. Of well, it's also one like or the in other. practice, it's, it's when you deal with actual yeah. human beings, it's, it's, it's much never going to be cut. Like dry. on paper, everything, like we could say, like these things are the values of this thing and they're all in, it's like, wow, those are all great values. And if it works right. out, it'd be great. But, um, it's rarely the case. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh man. Well, <laughs> this has been like an intense conversation and I think this third <laughs> segment didn't go anywhere where I thought it was going to go. Uh, but it's, but it's been great. Um, I mean, thank you so much for, for yeah. coming on the show. We should definitely do this again. Cause Agreed. I feel like I have more things on my list next to me that we could have talked about, uh, that we did not. I have nothing on my list, but uh, I agree. I love that you kept a list regardless. <laughs> I have two things on my list. Uh, cult to podcast, which I'm not really sure, and hotel pans plus line. Oh, we did talk about hotel pans. We did. As a three-compartment sink. Yeah. yeah. Back to three-compartment sinks. Well, we accomplished. Anyway. Well, uh, <laughs> thank you again, Taylor, for coming on the show. Uh, it was great to have you. Uh, if you guys are listening out there, uh, you know, I hope you enjoyed what you listened to. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, let us know what you think of the show. Uh, if you really like what you hear, go to our Patreon page uh, at patreon.com slash spincast, and we will see you next week.